0: I'm Deb and my favorite is the 12 days of Christmas. I'm Cheryl
1: Springer and my favorite Christmas carol is Oh Holy Night. Oh
0: come all ye faithful. My favorite Christmas song is Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer.
1: My name is Sierra Lincecum and my favorite Christmas song is Mistletoe by Justin Bieber.
0: My favorite Christmas song is I Saw
1: Mommy Kissing Santa Claus.
0: Um, I say Silent Night, it's a classic, it's good. Hits your heart. Hello, my favorite song is "Oh Holy Night." I'm Ryan, and my favorite Christmas song is "Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer."
1: Totally. My name's Connor, and my favorite Christmas carol is "Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer." Our favorite song
0: is "Jingle Bell Rock." <laughs> uh, Michelle Vos, uh, "Oh Holy Night." Oh Holy Night. <laughs> Hi you doing, my name is Mike. My favorite Christmas song is Grandma Got Ran Over by a Reindeer.
1: Hi, I'm Trina Riley and my favorite Christmas song is White Christmas. Hi, I'm Tony Harvey, and my favorite song is Oh Holy Night.
0: Hear the sleigh bells ringling, ring ting tingling tune. Come on, it's lovely weather for a sleigh ride together with you. My name is
1: Zach and uh, my favorite Christmas carol is Oh Holy Night. Hey, my name is Mary Watson. My favorite Christmas carol is Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree.
0: Um, my name is Matthew White, and my favorite Christmas carol is uh, Frosty the Snowman, Melted.
1: Hi, I'm Deanne, and my favorite Christmas carol is A Little Town of Bethlehem.
0: Baby, it's cold outside. Yeah, it's kind of like that.
1: It's not safe to be a grandma around here. (laughs) And I'm sure glad they didn't have, uh, let's nuke Papa or Grandpa for Christmas, you know. Otherwise, I'm sure that would probably be a big hit. Uh, Before I get started this morning, I I want to, a couple of things. I'm going to invite you, if you would, not during service, but later today or this week, uh, read my column in the back. Just a couple of uh, wonderful announcements. Um, First of all, I want to, is Doug Stewart here? Hey, Doug, would you just stand up for a second and just kind of greet everybody and let everybody know? I, uh, uh, I, I don't know, I, this may sound unspiritual, but I'm just really proud and thankful for Doug. Uh, he was presented the Threads of Hope Award this past Tuesday at the Orinda Theater for his ministry to the homeless throughout Contra Costa County. Uh, as a matter of fact, he's such a sole- Yeah. Uh, He's such a celebrity now. He was on the front page of the uh, Diablo magazine. And uh, so, you know, Diablo means devil. So in front of the Devil magazine, we... we We get some spiritual life in there, Uh, but Doug, we're just really thrilled for you, and as a church, we stand with him and and do some things to help that ministry. As a matter of fact, um, again, you guys have been so gracious, and we've been asking for things, for food, for all of the, for the last couple of months. Uh, I will ask you, if you can, and I think most of us could, let's, uh, if you notice, it's gotten a little chilly out. If you could bring some blanket or blankets, I mean, just go to Walmart and grab some, and we're going to purchase some, but now is where he really needs, where Doug and his ministry really need blankets. And so if you could just think during this season to partner with him, maybe give up a Christmas present or two, and say, we're going to help. Um, his ministry, uh, that would be awesome and just bring him to the church. Uh, Secondly, Creekside Church was uh, notified, I was uh, receiving an email a week and a half ago, that we have received the 2011-2012 Partners in Education Community Organization Award uh, that is given on behalf of Martinez Unified School District. So, yeah. You know, a lot of that is uh, we, we do, we've been doing working with the schools for a number of years and then we've really ramped it up with the crab feet, literally giving thousands of dollars. And uh, So please read that. I, I don't want to start singling out people because I'll miss somebody because there really are so many people involved, but we do have a great team that focuses on this. And uh, But just read that and, and take time to just acknowledge these people and say thanks because it's really not about the recognition. We, we've never done any of these things so we'd be recognized, but there's something pretty powerful about it. Because because it makes a statement to our community of our commitment to them and our involvement that goes beyond just, just you know, talking about God and making everybody, expecting everyone to believe. But we kind of want to be like Jesus, that sometimes we take care of some physical things before we get to the spiritual. And I think that Jesus always dovetailed those. So just a wonderful thing, and uh, what a joy to be a part of this church. Uh, would you take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 2? Luke chapter 2. If you have kids, you know that the early birth and early birthdays are just incredible celebrations for families. Well, it was the same in Jesus' culture as well. They would come, a child was born, the family would get together, they would meet in the house, they would sing and celebrate and eat, have a great time. Uh, But it's interesting, God doesn't do that for His Son uh, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. There was no pomp. There was no circumstances. There was just simply this humble birth in a feeding trough with angels and animals as the key witnesses to the birth of the Savior of our world. I, I want to look at part of Jesus' story today that doesn't get a whole lot of press clippings and, and you're not going to see it in the Christmas pageants of kids and you're not going to find it on Christmas cards. So I want us to look at Luke Chapter 2, verse 21 through 35. And if you would follow along with me. And when the eight days were completed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus. It was the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. You can check that out in Luke one thirty-one. When the Annunciation came to Mary, the angel said, and you'll call his name Jesus. Because Jesus means Jehovah, Savior. That's what he came to do. That was his mission for leaving heaven, to come here. And verse 22 says, and, then, and when the days for their purification according to the law brought them up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. I'll kind of give you an overview on that. And then it says in verse 23, As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. What a great epitaph. This guy's old. And those are the two things. At the end of his life, he was still righteous, right standing with God and with people, but he was devout. He was looking for the comfort, the consolation, the hope of Israel. Remember, up until this point, there had been 400 years where where they hadn't heard any words spoken by the prophets. There had been no hope giving. And remember, everything points forward to the New Testament, to the coming of Jesus Christ, coming of the Messiah. But there is, they call the dark times, the intertestament period of 400 years where they hadn't heard any proclamations from the prophets. And yet this man, it says, he was devout. And he was continually looking, waiting, anticipating the hope, the consolation, the comfort of Israel. And and parenthetically, it says, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. uh, That he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Verse 27, and it came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the customs of the law, and he took him in his arms, and he blessed God, and he said, Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word. For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light of revelation to the Gentiles the glory of the people of Israel. And his father and mother were amazed, Mary and Joseph were amazed at the things which were being said about him. Simon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed. And the sword will pierce even your own soul to the end, that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed." Understand, when Mary and Joseph, they bring Jesus, he's about a month old at the time of, of this writing. He's going to be dedicated. They have traveled probably close to 140 miles from, from Nazareth to Jerusalem. We're talking probably a minimum of seven, maybe up to nine or ten nights of travel on a donkey. This wouldn't have been comfortable. Remember, she just had a child. And so they're headed to Jerusalem. They're leaving their little town. Very small population. I mean, smaller than Pacheco. And it'd be like going from, if we just, it'd be like going from Pacheco to, to San Francisco almost. And they head to the big city. This would have been massive for them because they're heading not to a little synagogue, but they're heading to the temple. And these people, uh, you've got to understand, Mary and Joseph... Were mostly illiterate, very poor. She's a young teenage girl. Scholars say she probably would have been somewhere between 13 and 16 years old. And what does she do? She's giving birth to God incarnate. And now she is traveling with Jesus. But they're so devoted to God and to the Holy Scriptures that when their son Jesus is born, they follow and they obey the Old Testament customs and they bring him to the temple for his dedication. Now, I got a picture of the temple that's still there today. And uh, these here are the steps. This is where a lot of people go today to visit and to see The temple of Herod. As they head to the temple, now you have to understand in their culture, they would wear white and they would walk up these temple steps, carrying Jesus in their arms in obedience to the scriptures because that's what the Torah, the law of Moses said. And they do it. Why? Because, well, they love God and they want to follow and do what he says. Now, it's interesting with those steps because if you read the Psalms, If you would have heard a Jewish person, they would never say that they are going to Jerusalem. Uh, They would say, we are ascending to Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem, remember, is kind of like the... It's called the city on a hill. And just like they say, we're not going to Jerusalem. We're ascending to Jerusalem we are not going to the temple we are ascending the temple why would they speak like that well because if you if you go through the, the book of psalms you'll see this often where it talks about ascending to the hill of the lord and there was a sense that as they went and did this they were ascending to the very presence and life of god And as they climbed these steps, there would begin to well up within their soul praise and thanksgiving to God as they moved closer to what they believed to be Him and His presence manifest in the temple. So their physical climb was also a very spiritual climb as well. Now these steps here are part of the Herodian temple. What's interesting is, not only was Jesus probably first carried up these steps in the arms of His mother... And Father, but for years, when we hear him talking and saying he's preaching and teaching at the temple, it would have probably been this area right here where he would have stood up and begin to teach and to preach, because this would have been the largest area around the temple for people to gather, and with the way that it was designed, it would have been the best place for them to be able to hear Jesus speak. So his parents bring Jesus and they're going to dedicate him at the temple. You have to understand, just to give a little bit of history here, every Jewish male went through these ancient ceremonies and Jesus did as well. Because it says that he basically experienced and suffered everything that mankind experienced when he came here to earth. And the first thing they mention here in verse 21 is this circumcision. Every Jewish male baby would be circumcised on the eighth day of their birth. See, this rite was so sacred in Jewish tradition that even if the eighth day fell on the Sabbath, guess what? They would still, sac- uh, they would still um, circumcise the baby. Even though the Jews never did anything on a Sunday, on a Sabbath. But here or on a Saturday at that time here they say we're going to we're going to circumcise because this was so critical why? well because circumcision was a sign of a promise that God had given his chosen people now, there's a lot to it I don't have time to spend a lot of time on it but really it's the idea that when God comes he comes into relationship and he begins to cut away the things of the flesh the, um, the carnal nature the sinful nature he wants to cut away that, and this became the sign of a covenant, promised relationship that he brings to his people. Have you ever noticed that, that God never gives an easy task or an assignment, but there's always a cost involved when He calls you to do something. I mean, He never interrupts life with just this relatively risk, free, uh, effortless request to say, "Would you do something?" It's always something just a little bit. Bigger than what we are, and think about it. Even with this circumcision thing, you know, back in in Genesis, chapter ninety, it comes to Noah and due to all the violence and all the corruption and all the stuff going on the wickedness of this world he comes to me and he says no i want you to build an ark i want you to gather two of every animal and living thing in there i want you to gather your family we're going to start this whole thing over now hear me i know you don't really understand what rain is you've never seen a boat before so here's the dimensions and i want you to gather the animals i want you to gather your family people are going to make fun of you But you won't be alone. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to make a covenant with you. A promise of my ongoing relationship to you and your family. And I want you to know that I am with you. And you're going to be able to see this at some point in the sky. I'm going to reveal my promise to you. And it's going to be a rainbow. Well, Noah does all this. And over time, hundreds of years, the human race, well it begins to drift away from God again. God's people kind of begin to drift away from him. So God says, I got to kind of I got to kind of recalibrate and remanufacture this. So in Genesis chapters 12 through probably about 30, he comes to Abraham and he says, "Abraham, I want you to leave everything familiar to you. Your family, your friends, your home, your home country, your security. And I want you to move far away to a land You don't even know yet, but when you get there, I'll let you know that you're to stop. And he says, I'm going to make a covenant with you because I'm your God. You're my chosen man. Through you, through your loins, is going to come all the nations to be blessed and ultimately to bring forth this Messiah, Jesus. And I want to give you a sign. (laughs) What was the sign? It was circumcision. Now, if I'm Abraham of faith, he probably would have known some pretty good history of God's dealings with his people. And if I'm Abraham, I'm thinking, uh, Noah got a rainbow. (laughs) 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 Would you consider a secret handshake or something, you know? Why do we have to do this? Because, see, God's always coming, and he's always going to be cutting away stuff in our lives. And this was a sign of God's relationships to his people. God never calls us to an easy task, and he doesn't call Jesus to an easy task either. And then the next thing you see there, that, that there's the redemption of the firstborn. See, in Exodus chapter 13, a couple of points, a couple of times right before the Passover, God speaks to his people, and he says that the firstborn male belongs to God. And so part of this process within the first five to six week period, the parents would bring the child and dedicate him at the temple. Well, what, what this idea was to redeem the child was they would come and they say, God, this is your child, but we're going to redeem him. We're going to buy him back. And they would do it through giving of a sacrifice. Understanding that they're buying back, which is exactly what Jesus Christ does for us. Where it talks about when it says that we get to experience the redemption in Christ, He buys us back from the enemy of our soul. But what these people understood was, ultimately God is the giver of life and the keeper of life. And they simply stewarded the life. And, and then the last thing you see there is the purification ceremony. This ceremony happened 40 days after childbirth. During the first 40 days, the mother couldn't go to temple. She really didn't involve herself in any religious activities. she'd simply stay at home. But on that 40th day, if she gave birth to a male child, she would come to the temple, and they would uh, the, the family, her and her husband and the family, they would bring a sacrifice, a burnt offering, and then they'd bring a young pigeon for a sin offering, and the priest and the sacrifice would do the offering there, the sacrifice, and then he would pronounce her as clean. And they would go back as a family. We kind of understand this. But this could be very difficult, very unaffordable for a young family. So in Leviticus chapter 12, they come up with this thing called the offering of the poor. It's an exception clause for the poor who couldn't afford a lamb, an unblemished lamb, to bring it to the temple. So they basically said, if you're poor and can't do this, which was most of the people... And well, they said bring two pigeons or two doves in place of the lamb. Well, what do we see here? This is a poor family. Luke underscores how Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, was born to and brought up in a poor family. We're not just talking about poor in comparison to the grandeur of heaven. We're talking about poor based by man's standards and how they would measure the poor even at that time. A New Testament writer notes that he became poor in every way for us in coming to this earth. Why? So we, you and I, everybody, by choice, could experience the riches, the unfathomable riches and glory of God in Christ Jesus. But Jesus' mother and father were fully devoted to God. They couldn't afford the typical, the best sacrifice. But you know what? They still came, they still gave. See, we see that this is really true even for you and I today, loved ones. It is not the size of the gift, but it's the size of the heart and the degree of the sacrifice that determines our true heart of worship. There's always a cost to worship. There's always a cost to walking with God. There's obedience to the scriptures. There's doing some things that we go, my gosh, I can't believe that I'm being asked to do that because God never gives us an easy task just like he didn't his own son. They were poor, but they were so devoted they still gave and sacrificed from what they had to God. Now we see that, that Simon, Simeon, this old man, he loves God, loves God with all of his heart. He has served God, waited on God for years. And it says that the Holy Spirit came upon him and confirmed in his soul and mind that Well that God has now found he put all the pieces together, those things that have been prophesied by the prophets. For years, throughout the ages, pointing forward, this moment in space and time has come. And it reveals God's providential rule. What is about to take place in history through the coming of God in the flesh. There's this divine collision. You can't miss it. This divine collision of Jesus, the new covenant, the new testament proclamation that God is on scene. In the temple, which represents the Old Testament, the law, the old way of doing it. Now God is giving his people, you and me, this new promise, this new covenant through this little baby. And now he's ushering in this thing called the dispensation of grace. Not law, but it's grace. It's not based on what you do. It's not based on keeping these rules and these regulations and these laws. It's based on keeping and building and establishing a relationship with Jesus Christ. This Messiah who comes to be the light of the world. Now, Luke reportedly notes the work of the Spirit throughout his gospel. Just twice here in this passage, he talks about the Holy Spirit, who, as we understand it, remember, it doesn't come until Acts chapter 2. But the work of the Spirit, just like Jesus, you know, Jesus wasn't born here. He is eternal. He's been around forever. It's the same thing with the Holy Spirit. But we see at different points where in the Old Testament and right here, it says the Holy Spirit came upon But after the birth of the church, as Jesus ascends in Acts chapter 2, then what happens? Well, the Holy Spirit begins to live within us. And part of the, the luke motif of his gospel is the work of the Spirit. And we're going to talk about this forgotten God, the third person of the Trinity, this upcoming year. Because he's the one that convicts of sin, teaches truth, counsels, And comforts our life. So Simeon has this revelation from the Holy Spirit. And then he has this prophecy. He takes Jesus in his arms and he blesses him. And he says, as he's holding Jesus, he sees this humble king. And I think it's interesting that he takes him in his hands and he speaks over him and he speaks Prophecy to the parents and about Jesus. I I think of, remember the beloved Apostle John? When he was at the end, uh, toward the end of his life, he writes 1 John. And he writes these words. From the very first day, John one one. he says, From the very first day we were there taking it all in. What? Uh, The life of Jesus. And notice what he says. We heard it with our own ears. We saw it with our own eyes. And we verified it with our own hands. The word of life appeared right before our eyes. We saw it happen. And all of a sudden, and I don't know that they were trying to, but but he taps into these these learning modalities—seeing, hearing, feeling, kinesthetic, experiencing God. He says, "This is the real deal." That's exactly what Simon is doing. Is he he picks up this child with his own hands? He says, "I'm holding God incarnate," and he declares some powerful and some difficult truths as he holds this little baby up and he speaks a blessing. Such a poignant moment. You know, I don't know about you, but I remember having people, when our kids were babies, they would pick them up. And they would just say things over them. What a precious child. They never said anything of what Simeon said. But there's something powerful when people speak over our children. And that's what Simeon does in this poignant moment. He says, now, sovereign Lord, dismiss your servant in peace. Why? Why? It's not that he saw salvation, but he saw Jesus Christ, the personification of what salvation is all about. He is the one with through whom salvation comes. And he says, "I've seen it. It's what I've been waiting for. It's what I've been believing for. I can die a happy man now." And it says Mary and Joseph marvel at what he says. It's interesting. Because he says all of these things, then all of a sudden, i got one more thing to say, so what does he do? He turns away from the baby. He turns away from Joseph, and he lasers in on Mary, the mother of Jesus. And notice what he says. This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Those are kind of odd words and what does it mean to her? I mean, it's kind of like this. Imagine a congratulations card for the birth of your baby with the cute little baby picture on the front and then inside you open it up and the words say your baby's happy and healthy and smart but it'll rip your guts out and shatter your heart <laughs> blessings <laughs> that's that's what Simeon is saying he's going to break your heart it's going to kill you there's going to be like a sword that cuts through some of the things that you're going to have to experience and some of the things that you're going to have to see with this little baby a sword is going pierce to your, pierce your soul Mary And we know that it does. Well, let me just share a couple of things that I think are important from this passage for us today. And it it really comes back to when you look for Jesus, when you seek Jesus, you'll find Jesus. See, whether Simeon's lifetime... Or 2,000 laters sitting here in Creekside. Or maybe it's going to be a month or two or a couple of years down the road. If you're looking, for those who look for Jesus, you will find him if you're sincere. Jeremiah twenty three fourteen, the prophet Jeremiah said this, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. Get this, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. That's the whole purpose of Jesus even coming here. The declaration. He is bringing his people back from captivity. 2,000 years ago, the nation of Israel, and 2,000 years later, the nation or the church. You and I. That's his purpose. To bring salvation. See, where Simeon says he's looking, it's an interesting word. It has the idea of intent to find. It's not just kind of waiting and passively kicking back, but it's the idea about searching and expecting and waiting, and believing. Have you ever noticed how a lot of things, um, uh, they aren't really seen, even though they're in our visual line of sight? Well, our mind has this thing called the reticular activating system. And what, what one of the functions, and the way it works is, is you can literally look at something, notice something, but not really notice it. Oh, let me give you an example. You may look at your watch. Thousands of times, and be able to okay, it's uh, about uh, 9:52. But you may do that over and over and not know if you've got a Bulova, a Timex, or a Rolex, because you've never, even though you look at the time, you never noticed what the name is on the watch. See, we live our life like that, don't we? We see a lot of things, but we don't necessarily see what's really there, what's important. See, it says that Simeon, he waited, he looked, he watched. Isn't it interesting the difference between what Bethlehem was experiencing at that time? Now, Bethlehem was very apathetic toward Jesus and the promises of God. Maybe if we can say, well, they hadn't heard anything for 400 years. That's all right, though. He was expecting... He was looking. He was waiting. See, Bethlehem was busy. A census was being taken at that time and people had to travel back to their homelands. And so they were busy with that. Isn't it easy for you and I just to get busy at this season? And we can kind of begin to miss maybe what Jesus would want to show us and want to do in us and through us at this time. Now, they were also, there was the the issue of inconvenience and preoccupation. I mean, just take, for instance, the innkeeper. There's no room at the inn. Sure, yeah, that's true. Can you imagine what would have happened if he would have known this was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God incarnate? Excuse me, I'm taking your room. Sorry, um, you came a little bit late, gave your room away. He would have made sure that there was room. Can you imagine the press clippings of that? Jesus Christ, God incarnate, stayed in this room. Would you like to stay there? That's what we do today, don't we? I mean, Trey and I went and stayed in a hotel in Benicia a couple of years ago. And the, and the room we stayed in, its claim to fame was that Humphrey Bogart was there in the 1930s. Imagine if you could say, the innkeeper, Jesus slept here. Marketing coup. Inconvenience, preoccupation. I, live, I, I can live that way. I, I hesitate to tell this story on a couple of levels, um, good and positive, but we were talking in our in-state group this past Tuesday and about, well, sometimes the church doesn't do this, and people in the church don't do that, and, you know, on and on. And finally I just said, you know something, let's, let's forget it. Let's not talk about it anymore. Let's go out and do it. So I kind of gave him an assignment. I want you to do some stuff. Just because someone doesn't do it to us or for us or with us or around us doesn't mean that we're not called to do it. Well, bold proclamation, and so I'm, you know, it's kind of a busy season for us here. I, I go to the post office this week. I, pull, I, I, I come around the corner into down on Elhambra, and I pull up to the parking spot, and guess what? There's a homeless man sitting there. Big sign. I'm not kidding you I pulled in and as soon as I saw him because I would have to walk by him to get into the post office I backed back out I'll just drop these mailings off into the box I didn't want to deal with it and all of a sudden God just kind of said what are you doing and I said God don't bug me I'm busy I'm, you know just don't bug me Okay? I'm sure I love that man, but you don't need to bug me right now. And I kind of talk with God sometimes like that. And all of a sudden it just hit me. The church sometimes doesn't do. Well, let's do it. Oh, well, that was that was a class. So you know what I had to do? I had to pull my car back in. I walked by that guy. And I really was kind of on a tight time frame. I walked up to him and I said. Hi, sir, are you hungry? He goes, yeah, pretty hungry. I said, okay. So I went, across over to High Bar and got him a big meal. And just brought it back to him and gave it to him. And he said, God bless you. And I said, God bless you too. This is from our Lord. Now, the reason I tell you that is because, you know what? Even our best intentions it is so easy to miss what God wants to do in our lives during this season because we can justify it because we're busy we're preoccupied that's why so many people miss what Jesus is doing around them that's why Bethlehem missed Jesus that's why we miss him because when that still small voice when you want to back out and move away from something and that still small voice says what are you doing it's so easy to go I'm busy. Well, and Simeon, he wasn't preoccupied. He was ready at the temple all the time. Well, well, Simeon. You know what? Simeon had expectations, and I think some of our problems today is how many of us don't have expectations for God. See, Simeon looked and waited and lived. It's almost as if it kept him alive because he wanted to see the Messiah, the promise that God had given for thousands of years. I wonder how many of us have our built-in expectation meter expired. we, We just don't expect God to do anything anymore. I'm talking not about unhealthy expectations. I'm talking about expectations for God to do things in our lives, through our lives, and around our lives. But maybe we haven't seen anything for weeks, months, years. So we just give up. And we don't expect. Simeon didn't. He was an old man, but he kept waiting, kept looking. See, loved ones, we've got to train our eyes Again. To see God's presence. See, if you look for problems, that's what you're going to see everywhere you go. It takes much practice to train your eyes to see God in the dailiness of life. And it takes a lot of time to train your spirit to to respond to God. This humble Christ in the dailiness of lives. See, we'll read the newspaper, watch bad news all day, hear about murders and deaths, all the ills of society, and we'll watch it at 5 o'clock, and then we'll watch it at 10 o'clock, and then we'll get up and then I go to bed, and then we'll get up and we wonder why we get up with such a negative orientation. It's all we've seen. And we have a bad day, a bad attitude, a bad life. That's because we're not training our eyes to see what God is doing. It's a vicious cycle. We see what the world is doing, but we don't necessarily tap into what God's doing. That's why we've got to train our eyes. Because if you always see what is wrong with people and what people don't do, that's what you'll see. That's part of a commitment to Jesus Christ. See, even when you think he's silent, his silence has a purpose. But see, we're so technologically savvy now, that man, when we send a text, boom, it's there. We send an email, boom, it's there. We call on the phone, boom, it's there. God, what's up? Boom, it should be there. But Simeon's a powerful example that says, keep looking, keep waiting, keep expecting, keep anticipating, keep believing. Two kinds of people. I've got to see it to believe it. They live by fact. Or I've got to believe it to see it. And they live by faith. Well, Also you'll see that this baby is all about conflict. It says this child is appointed. This child has a destiny for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. And he's a sign of light to the Gentiles, to everybody so as Simeon gives this prophecy he talks about his relationship to Israel as well as to the Gentiles who are the Gentiles? anybody that wasn't a Jew then and now this boy will grow up to be a man who is the center of extraordinary controversy conflict trouble division acrimony strife and see for you and I it's not so much that God judges man here and now but man judges himself and his judgment, really, the judgment that people experience now is based on their response to this little baby that became a man. Because really, he's the fulcrum in which human history hinges. Remember, we talked about it last year, or last week. B.C., before Christ, A.D., Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. It's all around Jesus, Listen, history is divided by him. Is it any surprise that mankind is divided by this man? See, we forget. Even Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, even though he's the Prince of Peace. See, you you, you can't box him in. He says, I come to divide families. Because he understood that there would be some who would follow and there would be some who reject. And that's what he's talking about here. See, he's talking about there's this cosmic listen, loved ones, this cosmic warfare that is taking place around this child 's life. And while this little baby is a lover of mankind, he 's a humble king, he is a warrior king. First, John three says that he came to destroy the works of the enemy. And isn't it easy for some of us to forget that we're in a battle and we wonder why all hell is breaking loose around us? Things we go, I think I'm doing everything right to the best of my ability. I'm loving God. I'm walking with Him. I'm, I'm believing for things. And then still, the stuff hits the fan. Can I tell you something? We shouldn't be surprised. We serve this warrior king who came to defeat the enemy of our soul. This humble king is a warrior king who comes to give you and me victory. And I just want to say that some of you are going through it. And don't be surprised. Make a decision that you're going to press in and tap into this Jesus who is a warrior king who comes to bring you victory. And that may mean you need to get with some people. And get prayer. Get them to stand with you. But don't be surprised at the conflict. Another thing you see that's very simple here, but everybody needs to receive Jesus personally. Verse 28. Imagine Simeon, he's taking and personally receiving Jesus in his hands. Listen, loved ones, our goal at Creekside is for people in this room, in our community, in our East Bay, to know Jesus personally. You can't do it through parents. You can't do it through other Christ followers. You can't do it by sitting in this church. You can't know God by proxy. It only happens through a personal relationship with him. And like Simeon, when he embraced this humble child, he realized the truth of who he was. Ah, this is the Messiah. Remember in Luke chapter 24, the disciples are walking. There's some disciples. They're distraught because Jesus has died. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and he begins to reveal himself to them. And it says that their eyes were literally open, their hearts were warm because they were looking. They were waiting. They were listening. But it had to be personal. And everybody here has to make that decision. Some of you will rise with it, and some of you will fall by it. I love this statement. This is what Simeon says. When we see and receive Jesus personally, guess what? Then we're ready to die. Well, does that mean you're going to die? No, you're going to die right away. Well, well, actually it does. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about, and, and, and uh, Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 talks about how we die when we come to Christ, the old man. And behold, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17, all things become new within us. It's called reborn. No, you're not going to die physically when you come to Jesus or make a commitment to him. But guess what? You'll be ready to. You'll have a whole new perspective. Because you've come to this humble king who is now the warrior king for your life today. This is one of my favorite Christmas songs, Humble King. Because it reminds me at one point, I don't have a whole lot to give Jesus. I just lay down whatever I've got. Because he has done everything for me. And while I have nothing to give, I can give what I do have. Just like Mary and Joseph. It's the best. I can give them my life. I want to be more like Him.